Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Well, I'm going to be a warm collisions welcome to Mr. Adam Ludgate from Aletta. How are you doing, Adam? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We met. How did we even meet? I, I love Calgary. I like. Uh, I think we crossed paths somehow. Somebody introduced us, which I feel is really. I'm going to call that the Calgary way. Yeah, I believe if I remember correctly, it would have been through someone in the Rainforest Group, which which makes me very happy because it's uh, a group that I I really like to support and be part of. So, absolutely, I think it was bec- it was uh, my social media manager was on the Rainforest Group Slack channel. That's correct. I think you guys connected on there. I love it. Super small world. Like Calgary, hands down, is the biggest small town I've ever lived in. And, and which, you know, I'd say has way more positives than negatives from that perspective. But uh, let's, hey, let's, let's give a little backstory for starters. You've worked, you've worked abroad. You've been back to Calgary for, you know, at least the last couple of years here. Just I'm creeping on your, do professional creeper on your LinkedIn. But uh, let's talk about Aletta. What do you guys, what, what is Aletta all about? And you're head of tech over there. And let's work backwards from there. Yeah, sure. So the company that is um, mainly focused on uh, providing kind of like CTO level oversight and tech oversight um, and TEV teams for startups. So earlier stage startups are kind of the biggest interest of ours. We're we're trying to avoid to being um, just another dev shop. We'd like to kind of provide a little more of that um, guidance on execution. And, you know, often you'll see technical founders or sorry, rather non-technical founders with, you know, some great ideas um, and, and they not really sure how they can execute technically on a effectively a tech play. Um, so we're trying to be that bridge. Um, um, we'll get into it a little bit further on the backstory of how that all came to be. But I felt there was a bit of a gap in the market about two years ago um, where there wasn't enough of that available. So um, that's what that's what the goal of the company is really. And um, in addition to that, we have provided, you know, general development teams working with couple companies out of the US as well right now. So Okay. I was good. Thank you. That was my next question. In terms of your client base, is it primarily Calgary, Alberta, Western Canada? Like if it, you're just going to give a percentage, what 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 percentage of your current, you know, I love the because as a non-technical leader who gets really excited about technology, but then immediately runs up against that gap of I just don't know how to do it. I'm curious like where if you're seeing a lot of that happening in Western Canada or if it's more of a North American play. Um, I would say like initially it's been a lot of the stuff in Western Canada, um, but we're seeing an uptake um, quite a bit more now in U.S. companies looking to Canada. And it's, of course, it's nothing new, um, but we have seen, I've seen an uptake in that. So we are growing in towards that market. Um, but, you know, my, my kind of primary mantra, you know, I love, I love being part of the Rainforest Group. I do podcasts with them. I record podcasts with them. And um, you know, I really would like to see our tech scene here in Alberta flourish. So we're quite keen on that. But of course, you know, um, happy to participate in opportunities outside the local jurisdiction as well. Well, I also hear the loud, like having our tech scene flourish might mean a lot of great resources that are here that happen to be adding value at other places that, you know, there's different versions of what makes our tech scene flourish. And I think maybe that's a good segue into our conversation t- today or just around how we work and the realities of maybe the journey we were on and the accelerant that COVID has become. So as a group that's, I'm assuming you flex in size and and headcount based on the demand. You guys are still a service-based firm and you have a certain amount of work. Are you like, what's your guys' talent pr- process in terms of, or ne- maybe how has that changed over the last kind of six months of the COVID journey? Yeah, no, that's that's very accurate, actually. Um, kind of ebbs, ebbs and flows as as the demand up comes up and down. Um, but yeah, we like to we like to kind of stay in touch with people in the local market. A lot of the ton of top talent. Um, Pre COVID, we were having a kind of a regular 
quarterly, I would say, or maybe a little more frequently that event where we would just get people together. And, and it was really not necessarily people that we'd even ever worked with, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, go to one of the local uh, pubs downtown in Calgary and grab a big table and get everybody out and lots of people who can talk about programming and coding. And, um, you know, a lot of these people are kind of on an island and where they're working for a company out of the US, perhaps on a contract doing development and everybody else is is somewhere else. Um, so they're kind of lacking that camaraderie. And, you know, obviously, again, things have changed with COVID ability to be together in person. But uh, that was kind of what we were focused on, you know, trying to keep those people in the circle and, and keep people interested and engaged um, and give a kind of give a sense of community for a large group of the top tech talent that um, we're familiar with in Calgary who are um, contractors. Right. They, they typically like to they typically like to move to new things often. Um, and, part, part of maybe why they're also attracted to that contract role. We all have a little bit of ADD because we're excited that what's the next cool thing we get to problem we get to solve. I'm assuming anyone I know is in that space. They literally get addicted to that cycle. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so that's, that's kind of the space we're playing in. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of really great people, a lot of great people. And as you say too, right, like having tech flourish here in Alberta can also mean income coming from outside of Alberta, outside of Canada into Albertan pockets and then contributing back to the local economy. So um, it's great. It's a great either way. So, so curious, just your perspective, you know, I've heard, I think it's a number we've maybe all heard if you pay attention at all to this, like, oh, we need, we're, we're, we, we have a gap of 2,500, you know, tech oriented jobs in Alberta. I haven't heard that recently, but I've heard it between 2,500 and 3,000, you know, hearing you talk about this very strong and rich pool of talent that's in the city, they're maybe engaged. So maybe that like they can be here, but they're, they're working, I guess, where do we sit or, you know, we'll talk about maybe how we work now, but if you think about the old way of like, well, talent needs to be in this, in our city to work for our companies. Where where do we sit in terms of that talent pool? Is it is it out there? I guess where have we been over those last couple of years if some of these oil and gas jobs have changed or, or gone away or been psych- like put on the sidelines and this rise of this need for tech-oriented jobs? Can I guess curious what you've seen where Alberta sits prior and then maybe now that talent can come from anywhere, maybe it's a whole different dialogue. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I have heard those numbers quoted as well. I think it was the CED uh, yeah. or similar group that would have uh, issued that in a couple of reports. And and I have heard those numbers and, um, you know, it does fit with what I've seen in that the people who are kind of the senior level, top level people are in short supply. Um, they, they're, if they're on the market, they're not on the market for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so the demand is still there. Um, I see, you know, again, I'm, I'm quite active in the tech community involved in a lot of the different snack slack channels where the, you know, there's hiring, there's the YYC development, there's the Edmonton group, there's the rainforest one. And it's literally every day there's something. So again, we don't have perfect accuracy on that stat of those 2000 people, whatever it is, but it, I, I can't say that there's a shortage in demand. Okay. Um, now the, yeah, of course we've seen the, the, the fall of oil and gas in the last five years in Alberta, the, you know, and, even people who I know who worked in the oil and gas industry back from the eighties have said, you know, I've been through some nasty times and this is, this is unprecedented, um, which has led to a lot of people retooling and retraining. And, you know, we've got a, we have a big depth of really educated, highly educated people, um, in Alberta. And a lot of them are beginning to go or have gone through a lot of these retooling programs. And there's, uh, there's so many of them and I can't, I can't name all of them, but you know, mm-hmm. just, there was uh, one through say called tech careers. You've got evolve you, you've got lighthouse labs, um, there's one called calm it. There's a, there's, I haven't named them all, but there are many of them. So, you know, a lot of people who are, um, you know, already highly educated and retooling, 
Um, the trouble is with a lot of these companies when they're hiring, they are looking for experience. So, um, isn't that the old cliche? If you don't give me the chance, how do I get the experience? If I don't get the chance, I'll never have, you know, that feels like that cliche has been around or that challenge. I'll call it a cliche. It's real has been around since the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, it's, and I think it's particularly exacerbated in the current markets because there has been such uh, such a drop off in the number of people that were employed, you know, at the stats that came out last month, I think, on uh, Albertans in and out, and it was a net loss for for people in Alberta, uh, which is very unusual for, I don't know, decades, it's been people coming oh, from, a, from an employment or from a migration, from, from, a, from a migration perspective, I that used to be a stat that I knew a lot of like had a lot of friends who were, were senior leaders in the housing market. And that was the stat they always had, because there was such an influx of new bodies into Alberta and that, uh, which was such a huge driver of so many aspects of our economy. Yeah, so and there are, you know, there are a couple tech startups that are growing very rapidly um, in Calgary, um, Helsim and Neo Financial, to name a couple, mm-hmm. uh, in the fintech space, and those those two are both really heavy on the junior hiring, and it's great. They're uh, partnering with Lighthouse, partnering with Sate, um, and really like to see that. So, uh, but that at least the lay of the land, from what I can see, is yeah, we really need to um, ask companies in our market who are looking for tech talent to be willing to bear that cost of getting those junior people up to speed. And a lot of these people are super smart and they're gonna they're gonna pick it up quick. You just need to take a chance on them. Um, so yeah. That's interesting. They might be inexperienced in a certain field that you're in, but these are also accomplished professionals in different levels of their life, which creates a whole different approach, right? If like when I was in my twenties, I approached things very different than I did when I was in my late thirties or early forties. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you get people who come out of university, myself included, first time you walk into an office and your first job and whether you're, you know, writing code or doing accounting or whatever it is, there is a learning curve of just being there and just understanding how companies work. Right. And these people who have retooled don't have that problem. Um, they're, they're right. They're ready to show up and focus on whatever skill that they're dedicated to. Um, yeah. yeah, you don't have to train them on the environment, right? They're just being trained on the thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Would you yeah. say just from your experience before we maybe uh, really want to get your perspective on kind of how things have changed due to COVID and where we're kind of headed, but you know, would you say that there's like our, our good, this is a weird question. Are good ideas being held back because we don't have enough talent to help move them forward? Lots of like, this is a town full of very smart, very resourceful, you know, inherently adaptable people. But if you're non-technical and you have that big idea and you want to go something forward, you've maybe got the connections, you have the like the subject matter expertise, but you don't have the technical expertise. Would you say from your kind of armchair opinion, are we being held back a little bit by that? Or do we have more ideas than we have resources to execute against them? Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I think that people who are really um, motivated can source talent outside our market. Um you know, there is, uh, when we can get into it a little bit later, but, you know, offshoring is, is definitely changed a lot and it's, it's not a great model in some cases. In other cases, it is, it is a good model, but COVID has definitely played a role here. But I think that ultimately, if you're flexible as a founder, um, in where you if you're willing to go, you know, move around outside of this jurisdiction for sourcing your talent, it's not too bad. Um, from what I've seen, again, this is purely anecdotal, but from what I've seen, the barriers are more on the actual funding side and commitment from VCA, VC and angel groups to, to actually give people the cash to get started. So that, that's where I see more of the barriers lying. If we start talking about that, then our whole podcast is going to go in that direction because that's a, t- a subject that comes up like, and not even in Alberta, that's across the, I was having an interview with, um, 
Michael Lidd, who founded Vidyard out of uh, Waterloo. And he still talked about the challenge, even in Waterloo, that's kind of known in Canada as like, oh, they've got some good things going on kind of in that startup scene. He goes, we still have the majority of our investors are coming out of the US. I think that that's a bigger challenge, but anyway, sorry, I said no, I wasn't going to talk about that. I just started talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a rabbit hole. I don't really want to yeah, go Yeah, No, that's a huge, we'll save that one for for, for second for our second date. We'll save that for podcast number two. Yeah. Well, you know, so I really appreciate your perspective on that. I know it was kind of a bit of a finger in the wind question of like, hey, you know, talent versus ideas. Let's talk about the last six months. And if I'm going to go in now as a founder with maybe a different mindset that I had in January, where I'm like, no, I need to find talent in this city. I need to find someone to come sit in an office with me or at least meet at a coffee shop with me. How much have you seen that change? Like, I feel we were on this direction, but COVID literally accelerated that. Yeah. What have, what have you seen in terms of just how beliefs have changed and then into like realities? Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't, there's definitely been an acceleration there. Um, and I've been, you know, again, following this from personal perspective, but also keeping close eye on, you know, what's being reported in, in various you know media outlets. Um, the economist in particular has done a number of publications on the future of work and the change of work and the shift in mentality. Um, and, and they've highlighted this, um, quite, quite aggressively that, uh, you know, COVID is acted, acted as an accelerant, um, to get you know various things to happen, one would one of those things would be um, the value of the office, right? The, the office has always been by many companies very highly valued, um, and ha- having people switched away from that environment, and a lot of the companies continue to operate at a f- fairly high level um, under a completely different working environment, um, demonstrates that the office may not be as critical as one thought. Um, so there is that, um, also noticed, um, you know, a number of people, particularly on the technical side are, are becoming less willing to be, um, in an office environment now. And now of course, you know, COVID is health concerns put aside. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a number of conversations where people said, if I, if I've got to be in the office, I, I won't even talk about this, about this opportunity because, um, I want to be where I want to be when I want to be. And uh, it, it used it used to be a perk. Now it now it's a baseline requirement. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and, you know, and tech wasn't and tech was kind of known for like they branded themselves on how cool their offices were. <laughs> you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but how many foosball tables did you had and how fun it was, and that was so much part of their employer brand. To all of a sudden have that like changed literally overnight. That's that's kind of interesting in itself for an industry that I think like did a lot of did a lot of PR around how cool their offices actually were. Yeah, I, I think to me as well, this is a bit of an this is a bit of an overreaction. We're going to see a correction on this, um, and and you know the kind of the predominant theory that I've seen is we're going to be eventually moving towards kind of a two to three day at the office working model. Um, you know, people will be more willing to be further away from their their central working location, kind of a more of a decentralized offices, if you like, um, and say, okay, well, you know. Previously, I wanted to be as close as I possibly could to my office, so I don't have to spend any time commuting. Now I only have to be there two days a week, so I'm willing to take the hit and you know spend an hour and a half in the car or two hours in the car on those days, and then I have my you know my life in in the mountains or whatever it is during the rest of the week. Um, so that that seems to be uh, some of the trend that I'm seeing. Um, I was um, out in BC um, a few weeks ago and. Uh, cross paths with the guy out there who's who's actually relocated his entire family from Calgary out there. And he, he was down at the registry um, doing his driver's license, switching over from Alberta to BC. And uh, one of the things he told me was that the, the agent at the registry said that on average, they, and they have about five Albertans every day who are converting their driver's license into BC licenses and, and doing a full that's, relocation. And that's just that one, that's just that one registry. Office. That's really interesting. Yeah. I like that. That's a little, I like that kind of armchair stat of like, Oh wow, that's powerful. 
you yeah. do math on that pretty quick. It becomes a number very quickly if you run that out at all. <laughs> yeah, and then there's you know there's been there's been uh, I think Remax did a survey about this. Uh, I saw um, quoted it here saying um, people are looking for a little more yard, a little more size of home and office, and more room that they can be outside and do rec- recreational activities in a safe way. Thirty um, percent of the Canadians surveyed here wanted to ditch the city and move into the suburbs or a small town. So like, again, I think there will be a correction on this, uh, but, but that's, that's what this, the sentiment seems to be right now. So. Well, it's interesting. I think we are very reactionary as humans and like it was, it was such a dramatic event for so many people. And depending on your personal situation, it got very real, very quick, you know, small home, two kids, dog, chaos, trying to be on zoom calls. I think we've all been on those zoom calls when the kid and the dog go ripping through the background and, you know, all of a sudden now I need a gym in my house and I need an office and I want to, like it, it's amazing how quick that came. My, uh, my dad re- retired and lives in uh, rural Ontario. And he said that prices of, you know, those five to 10 acre kind of plots where he is just outside of Cornwall, just over the, the Alberta, uh, the Quebec, uh, Ontario border, it jumped like 30% in like six weeks. Like they hadn't jumped. They didn't like kind of floating around that same level for years. And literally two months into COVID boom, they shot up like anywhere 20 to 30%, like an unrealistic number based on how kind of consistent that area had been just, I think for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's not even, not just a Canadian thing. I think it's, it's kind of a global thing. Um, I've, I've seen also reports out of the UK, London, which is historically one of the highest cost housing markets worldwide, is seeing uh, in some in some jurisdictions within the city, 20% housing drop. Uh, it was a report published by The Guardian fairly recently, uh, 20% drop. I mean, that's quite, that's quite significant. So and people, you know, again, flooding outside, just done with the hustle and bustle, done with the rat race. Um, so yeah, it's, it's you know, living in a 500 square foot condo because they had no choice because they wanted to be close to work, but yet that's all they could afford. And that was just the lifestyle. And hey, we don't have to look far to our own markets, you know, Toronto and Vancouver for some of that same kind of phenomenon. The, the Toronto housing market's been, you know, and Vancouver have just, I wouldn't say out of control, but they've been very hot. <laughs> it's a hot to touch for years. And, you know, that you go to Toronto, it's just condo building after condo building being gone. It's amazing how many of those are going up in Calgary, that sometimes baffles my mind, but that's another, that's another podcast as well. For another yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that place has changed. That's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, so, and I, but I think, as I said already a couple of times, uh, you know, I think that we're going to have a correction here and, and uh, yeah. that, that, that social capital, which we all had um, from being together face to face in the offices um, is, is starting to evaporate. Um, so, you know, that's going to need to be regained. And with the advent of, I think recently we had the approval of rapid COVID testing within Canada or Alberta, I'm not mm-hmm. sure which jurisdiction it was under, but anyway, um, that rapid testing could give us the opportunity to, you know, maybe do a team building event, um, you know, get, get a group of people together or they've been tested the same day, they've been quarantined and, and we can kind of regain that, regain that lost social capital that's effectively kind of dried up with all of us spending our time on Zoom and Slack and wherever else. It's been very interesting, even just, you know, being in running a marketing company, we're obviously having the intimacy and the knowledge and how close you are with your client makes a big difference, especially in the early stages. You made a comment even before I think we hit the record button about, you know, you had all these relationships with existing clients that were firmly entrenched. So switching to remote was quote unquote, pretty seamless, but we started bringing on new clients now. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I want to meet with you. I want to do my discovery in person. I want to get to know what's important to you. And just having to re-gauge that, you know, an existing relationship on zoom is 
one thing, but a net new relationship when you maybe don't have that whiteboard or you don't have that full experience, it's a challenge. It, it's it's doable, but it's very different than it is before. And I think that that's that feeling is going to push me back to the office probably sooner than anything else, or that gap. For no, me. yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you know, you and I crossed paths. Um, under COVID. And, and I think it was only because both of us had that willing to have that conversation, willingness to have that conversation. And, and you know, it's, it's, you really have to work for it, right? If you want to meet new people, you really have to work for it right now. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. I get it. Um, and so true. It's, and it's so interesting. You like the, these, these cycles, these events happen very quickly, but humans, we change slowly. Like, again, we change quickly because we have no choice. But if you look at beliefs and like deep seated values of where we connect to and what we find value in, that doesn't typically change overnight. And been, again, my experience, <laughs> it takes like, yeah, I'll adapt to this, but uh, you don't even realize sometimes why it's starting to feel uncomfortable. So anyway, not to get too long down the psychology of it, but it, you know, it's obviously a key factor. What are you seeing cross border? What are you seeing? Like mentioned that this is a global, we're not, we're not, you know, we're talking about Calgary, but this is a global situation that's happened in the last six months. What are you seeing with like, is there opportunities for Calgary to be come some of that talent hub for places like the US or curious what you're seeing now in this global village that we live in? Yeah, uh, no, actually, I, I really do believe that we do have a big opportunity in front of us. Um, and that, that may depend partly on what happens in November. Uh, which we'll all be watching very closely, but but you know, going back to um, COVID being an accelerant of of things happening in in the labor and workforce markets, um, one of the things that I was seeing as a trend, and I think is COVID has really accelerated, is this homogenization in the tech labor market. So um, you were seeing people uh, who were you know offshore or working remote, out, let's say outside of North America in jurisdictions where there are lower wages. Um, and those those rages were beginning to rise, right? So people are saying, "Look, I know that I know that if you want to hire someone with my level of skills in your local jurisdiction, you're going to be paying them X. So I'm going to charge you maybe not as much as that, but I'm going to charge you a lot more than you would expect." Um, and that was that was a trend that was beginning to happen. Um, I you know dealt with um, I've dealt with and worked very closely with um, companies out of Ukraine and in Delhi. Um, and saw that that trend kind of happening. And I believe that this is accelerating even more where companies now are carrying less. Uh, again, this is more specifically focused around tech. And, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, the, the willingness of people to, to give those discounted rates may have, have receded a bit. Um, so I, I find that that's uh, something for people to be aware of. But, but yeah, we've got the U.S.-Canada border dynamic in play here as well. And, and for those who have been paying attention there, um, you know, the U.S. has become quite protectionist on the visas. Um, that's Internally, that's affected a lot of stuff for them. It's not really, this isn't necessarily something to affect Alberta, but, you know, historically, the United States has been, you know, the brain drain on the world. Every smart person from every country mm-hmm with, you know, all kinds of expertise and skills has a very high chance of ending up in the United States, whether it's working for a university or medical or research or something like that. You know, they've been kind of the brain drain in the world. And that's been their that's been their advantage for such a long time. Um, so, uh, you know, having people who are maybe university researchers who are, who are from other countries being blocked and going into the US can really impact them. Um, but in terms of us in Canada, um, we're, we're also affected by that. And if you know anyone who's uh, on an H-1B visa down in the U.S. right now, um, Canadian citizen, their um, ability to cross back and forth along the border is um, somewhat in question right now. So um, I've been told by one um, personal connection of mine that uh, his employer 
advised him to not leave the United States um, under the H-1B visa um, without first consulting them because they weren't sure if he'd be let back into the country afterwards. So um, again, November will November will tell all. We'll see what happens, and uh, we don't. I guess we don't really know specifically what Biden is going to do, but. Uh, I believe there has been been some comment from him about about reopening that visa market, but let's let's say that things continue as as they have been and can continue forward. My feeling is this leaves a big opportunity for Canada, um, all of Canada, and Calgary. I'd love to be one of those places because we have such a huge capacity for people to come in now and work with uh, a plethora of empty offices at our disposal. Yes, we do. I'd love to see us become a landing pad. You know, with this with this acceptance of remote work. Uh, more often, we can take people who are coming from these outside markets, people people who are coming from the top tech schools in India, top tech schools in Eastern Europe, or wherever you know, they might be coming from, really, really highly educated technical people, and they can come here, and they can live here, and they can work for U.S. companies. Um, and I don't, I don't see that. I don't see any issue with doing that. I'd love to see that happen. So uh, I'm personally spending a little bit of time exploring that and how we can how we can kind of make that happen and see if we can get a few people in. Um, there's a company out of Vancouver, I believe, called Van Hack, which is have, which is highly focused on this, and they've they've been focused on this for a long time previously, uh, prior mm-hmm. to COVID. Um, but I, I do smell um, a big opportunity for Canada um, and our Calgary market as well, if if the U.S. situation remains. That's interesting. And it, obviously, business opportunity, it's, it's been in play, but you have something like a piece of legislation that comes in and all of a sudden, anyone who's in that space looks like the smartest idea that you've ever had is to be there at that right time when somebody puts something in place that all of a sudden accelerates your market opportunity. That's so interesting. I like what you talked about with offshore. And I think that it's easy to, uh, back in the day, which could have been six months ago, to be clear, there was like, oh, if we go offshore, it's going to be some hassles, but don't worry, it's cheap enough to make it worth it. And I'm really oversimplifying with that statement. But with like what you said, understanding what their value is and saying like, no, no, I'm going to give you a discount, but I know what I'm saving you. So there's a, there's a level of transparency and education. I'm, I'm only assuming that technology has also played a role that that whole ability to engage from home or from the other side of the world, technology is really removing those barriers of, you know, you've got time zones, but beyond that, if you've got a good internet connection, you could be anywhere right now. And you and I could be talking if we both had like internet seems like that becomes the variable. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, and and honestly, I think time zone is really the last major barrier. I, uh, hesitation I see from people who are wanting to engage these offshore, um, talent is is really based around well it's going to be a little strange i give you my requirements in the morning or at night and then i show up in the morning and something is done i don't know what's done um, and having that you know kind of team building aspect is a little more challenging so i think really that's kind of the last barrier um that said you know i think there's uh the the north and south america um continents have have a great opportunity here because the time zone difference is nearly not nearly as drastic. So. Yeah, you're dealing with kind of a three hour window, literally from 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 one side to the other. Yeah, exactly. which is pretty minimal versus a seven plus hour variable. Yeah, so I, I think that I think we'll see more of that kind of stuff happening. But um, going going remote over to Asia or Eastern Europe, maybe not so much, um, not so much of an accelerant here under COVID. Again, uh, it's definitely I think the time zone is is a, is a hard uh, hard issue for a lot of people to manage with. Mm-hmm. Uh, curious, and, I'm, and now this is just my own because it's so easy to offshore, work from home, remote first. Any thoughts on like there, there's a lot of words floating around there that I think are describing similar things, but always from a slightly different angle. Like from a terminology perspective, like what are you seeing as like 
any terms we should latch on to or that like I think there's just been there work so many people are calling this so many different things right now. I know this might be seem like an over like it's like a silly question to ask, but maybe even from your perspective, like where what are you seeing in terminology coming out there when someone says remote first versus work from home? Is it literally the same or is there nuances in there that you need to look for when you're thinking about putting your teams together when you tell them, oh, we're work from home, but they think remote first and maybe you guys end up misaligned? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, remote first means that's your primary base, but you're not necessarily in an off or not necessarily avoiding the office completely, right? You you do have some time in the office and, and again, we're, that that may change if when a vaccine is available. But uh, no, I think you know when when you see you know job specs and companies hiring, they're going to say work from home. This is a work from home. This is fully remote or remote first. Those are two different uh, two different definitions. And um, I, I I do like that remote first um, terminology because it does give people that kind of initial um feeling if they if they do like to have that kind of reworking flexibility that it it gives that right out of the gate uh when you're talking about about your engagement with a company um but you know I, as i said earlier as well like i think that people need that that physical contact they need that social contact and whether you know being having been part of teams that were um spread out in various countries um in the past um you know, I would see the team maybe every three months or something or every two months. And that was hugely valuable. Like just having that time, you get, you know, you, you get back on back home again and get onto the, the the chat channel with everybody. And you've, you know, everyone's got to laugh about something that happened when you were there together in person. And it, it really is, really is a positive thing. So, um, but yeah, no, my, uh, I guess that's kind of my take there on the remote first uh, in definition rather environment. Mm-hmm. That's certainly the term. I, I, I initially in the early days of COVID, I was a work from home concept. Then I listened to a few podcasts and I was like, mm, no, remote first, I think lives us much more options in the future to be a little bit more flexible. But hey, let's make this work and let's not forget the human element. But you know, one's literally day to day. But uh, like having those shared jokes as those shares, shared experiences that end up being those nuances of our culture, it, it's harder to create that. Like, you know, a, a, a night out doing a group activity creates often a lot of fodder for that, for those connections. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Without, without going into any detail of what, what, what went on at that event. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun if we don't remember anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a great time, I'm pretty sure. Um, but so from your own perspective going forward, like it's funny, I'm kind of sitting here laughing a little bit. Like there's some companies that are probably like, well, this is just how we worked before. <laughs> like I have project, I know friends that are project managers. Is like I, I see my team once every six months. This isn't new for us, but we got thrust, in, like, everybody got thrust into the mixer uh, from, you know, right off the bat. I would say would the would the tech sector have already been fairly down this path like long before COVID happened? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I don't want to talk like it's like this new shiny thing. It's kind of ignorant. People are gonna be listening going, hey, we've been doing this for years. So I'm not sure what you guys are talking about. But I think at a leader level, and certainly I know in Calgary, and I've had a lot of conversations with traditional organization, a lot of resource sector, oil and gas leaders, where being in the office and seeing people like that is a core value need. That's like a need for them almost. And that's a tough one when you're not willing to change your ways when your workforce, no matter what age or what kind of uh, millennial or what group they happen to be in, I've all realized that what's possible now. And I think that's an interesting shift that's going to continue to play itself out. Yeah, no. And it's good that you bring that up because everything that I've been speaking about in the last however many minutes has been kind of coming from that perspective, right? Coming from that flexibility, that tech remote world, but that's not the world that many people have ever experienced. Um, and it's not just oil and gas. I'd imagine to be similar out in, you know, financial hubs like Toronto, uh, people are, you know, typically have been in that office following that kind of nine to five, 
take your lunch at noon kind of thing. And a lot of the, a lot of people in the tech world maybe have been a, a bit of a different space where you would take your lunch, you know, take your lunch when you need to and, and work from, you know, 6 a.m. till noon and then again from 4 till 8 p.m. or something random. But but uh, yeah, that that bums and seats mentality is is one that I think, you know, has has been broken. I think it was on its way. I think it's on its way, but but the COVID was the the straw that broke the camel's back here and, and really pushed it over the edge, which I'm happy to see. And again, not not to take anything away from the human element, which we've already discussed, but uh, but I, I do think, yeah, that that mentality is it really needed it really needed to, to get a bit of a breath of fresh air. That you know, if people are really good quality and they care about your organization, um, it may not necessarily mean that they need to be physically with you at all times. Well, and I've talked to a lot of companies where, you know, companies that have the matrix and have the data and they're like, we're getting more out of our people and they're happier. Like what, what, what can be wrong with that equation? They have, I've got more family. My wife was talking about someone who worked in a production accounting role where they didn't have to have a lot of interaction and she had a newborn and literally was able to spend her full day with, and then her newborn went to bed and then she did her work at night and got, you know, 12 hours worth of work done probably in six or seven hours and loved it. Like just kind of, you know, created this whole different lifestyle around COVID. And you, just so many little, I know those are one-off stories, but I think they're, they're plentiful and you kind of bump into them in all kinds of places. So from a practical perspective, being someone who's like, you're like the, the smirk of like, well, this isn't really new. We've been dealing with this, but if you're a company that hasn't, I appreciate that it, it can be a big wrecking ball that kind of hit your way of doing things. Any advice or kind of, kind of words of wisdom that you can put out or maybe even a checklist? Like, Hey, if you're going to start rethinking about this, here's a way to start breaking it down versus like, okay, everyone's working from home and I feel lost as a manager. What are some structures or some things you've seen being really effective kind of in your world? Um, yeah, well, I mean, for in the current environment, you know, you've got uh, the issue of remote team building. And actually there's a company out, I think they're out of the US. I've forgotten the name. I think it's teambuilding.com or something like that. I'd need, I can't, that, would, that would be bang on. <laughs> yeah, don't hold me to that. But 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 basically yeah. what they're doing is they're holding these virtual team building events and they have all kinds of crazy activities uh, that they do um, to get people engaged and they'll, they'll block out some, you know, some regular interval for the team to go. And I, I know, of course, that's not that's not the future forever. We'll, we'll we have a physical team building again at some point. But, yeah. uh, you know, having that having that kind of flexibility is, is something that I think can really help companies make that transition and and look at ways where they can get people engaged. You know, obviously, we want to be engaged physically, but looking at the way people can be engaged uh, virtually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the other things that I've seen, too, is all companies that are, are beginning to return coming back on these kind of interval cycles uh, yep. where, you know, you've got X percent of the office in. And I think a lot of companies are taking that approach there. Um, which is, I think is a really good way to test the waters, right? Where, what are, what's our level of productive, uh, productivity going to be like when we're at 30% capacity? And is this some, something that's sustainable for the business, right? And you can ebb and flow with that percentage of people. And even, even when a vaccine is widely available, we can still experiment with that. And, and again, people were maybe not willing to experiment with that in the past. And now that it's been basically thrust into it with no choice, as you said, is coming like a wrecking ball and, and, and be open to making those experiments and saying, okay, well, you know what, let's, we're at 30% capacity. Let's go up 50% capacity. What are we seeing as a shift? Are people, do people like that better? Do people not like that better? How is it affecting our productivity and, and do some, you know, experience and they're not, and they're not expensive to do, right? You can do these things over short periods of time. Um, and you're not going to have a huge productivity loss one way or another, I think. So I, I really hope that people will 
will do assessments and it's going to vary based on your industry, obviously. Um, but I really hope that people will kind of do those assessments um, and, and kind of hit the sweet spot that works best for them. Yeah, I want to be certainly give the caveat. We're speaking very much for a knowledge worker perspective right now. Absolutely. As we sit at our desk, I do our computers and we have technology surrounding us and multiple video cameras. And, you know, you're in a production environment where you'd like, you know, I've just was watching some workshops on just the role AI is playing in manufacturing. There's operators, there's people that need to be there to manage that that equipment. And it's, a, it's just a different world when you start thinking about it that way. Certainly, my experience is definitely more in the knowledge worker space. For sure. Yeah, That's no, I'm glad you brought that up again, because I'm again, I'm biased towards the tech sector. But you no, know, we're, we're, we're where the within the entire labor market, it's there's obviously a, a bunch of different things, right? Like, can we have full robots running in the Amazon fulfillment center in Balzac? I mean, I don't think so. I don't, we're not there yet. People have to physically be there. Uh, the fear, the fear of robots taking over the world has been overstated greatly for the last little bit here. I think that, I think we're anything I'm reading, and for anyone who's worth reading, that's a long way out before before Terminator takes over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, those pipelines aren't going to build themselves. Those welds aren't drilling themselves. All that stuff, you know, for sure, people need to be hands on and, and there. Uh, but anywhere, anywhere that we can leverage technology, um, and even you know, increasingly in physical things where physical labor has to be done, but it can be done by a machine and perhaps it can be done remotely. If you've ever, if you've seen some of the um, more modern crane equipment that you can actually work with where you have a joystick, so you can actually operate a full scale crane with a joystick from the ground uh, without having a physical operator up there. I mean, that is, that's crazy, right? For you, you show somebody that uh, 50 years ago or <laughs> even totally. like that, right? Like, wow, look at that. We don't even have to send anybody up. You just need to move a few things around and, so just more and more things like that, I think we, we ought to be, and we have been taking advantage of times when we can leverage technology to do this, um, to do this stuff for us. Obviously, automations and that kind of thing is nothing new, but in terms of actually giving people flexibility in their work again, and maybe it's going to, maybe it's going to intrude on, on roles of work that were typically physically um, demanding, um, and people are going to be able to can perform those roles a little more hands off and maybe remotely more. That's such an interesting conversation around the, you know, the AI will take my job or, you know, just over oversimplify versus, you know, technology will augment my experience as, 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 as an employee, as a worker, as someone who can maybe do different, can skill up in different ways. And I know change is a real easy word to throw around, but it's scary for a lot, a lot of people. And that's, you know, when you really think of technology as literally just an underpinning of everything, it's not a sector <laughs> that sounds oversimplified, but I often hear it referred to that way. And you really, it's, it's really like, it's a rising tide that's affecting every industry. You know, I consider it very fortunate to be a knowledge worker during during these times because the technology we had in place allowed us to pivot very quickly other industries that's a it's a it's a constant process yeah and uh yeah you'll start to hear um you'll start to hear people once you go once you go down this path talking about things like ubi universal basic income and like, how seriously you do want to go with an idea like that you know i mean more and more physical labor jobs being eroded um and, and i you know there's there's the argument that you know well we need people to have work we need people to be employed but you know if we can if they can have their skills can be leveraged in some other way you know a, a huge amount of the jobs that exist today didn't exist 20 years ago uh didn't exist 30 years ago um you know especially in canada we're such a heavily resource-based economy historically um, mm -hmm. and that and that shift is happening and and you know if we're able to generate wealth with automation and we can do something like a UBI. I mean, we. I think we should. It should be investigated at the very minimum. Um, but you know, I, we're not. We're obviously not there yet. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting problem to deal with when you've got you know 
people being put out of work, which is again, it's something that we've always had ever since the industrial yes. level, since since before then. Uh, we've had people being put out of work and then they would just pivot on to the next thing and, and then a new industry would develop, a new trade would develop and, and uh, you know, the term software engineer didn't exist 50 years ago or, or whatever. whatever. Data scientists, like, yeah, you can go down the, you can go down the list of it's a long kind list. of what the, the top 10 jobs or top five jobs in demand right now didn't exist five to 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or, or we're literally a glint in someone's eye five years ago. And that's an interesting cycle when you talk about, and yeah, here's a whole nother podcast on, on, on UBI, but you talk about building enough wealth as a nation versus you know what we've accelerated right now is building debt like the debt profile and i've watched some recent stuff on that lately of like that's such a long cycle and it's exciting when you start thinking about it but what do we do and what are the casualties on that on that time horizon that's not that's not a 18 month cycle we're talking about there when you talk about national national building of wealth through automation and efficiencies and maybe not as many hands-on tools which i think canada's been a real hands on the tools when you talk about resource sector that's hands-on tools that's people living and working remotely just to be able to do the work, you start replacing that and thinking about generating wealth and then what the spinoffs are. It's an interesting if you just got to, my mind, I got to run that graph out pretty far for it to start to work. But I appreciate your perspective on the way you position that. It's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a challenge, right? It's something that you, you don't, you never want to face where you have a, uh, some percentage of the working workforce standing there empty handed, not sure what to do next. Um, so how do we, what, where do we go from there? And there's a lot of people that had those kind of Yep. Um, a lot of, there's a, po- a podcast that I listen to as well in the States and they talk about this kind of this subject quite often, um, on, on where you go and what you do. And I don't, I don't really know what the answer, I'm not, I'm not really an economist or anything, but I don't know what the answer is there, but it is, it is something that, you know, there's this, this story of, well, you'll be replaced by a machine, but you'll do something else and you'll be replaced by a machine and then you'll do then, that you'll do something else. And there will always be the next job, and the next job. I think that story is coming to a head and it's 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 going to get to that point where there there is no next job um so because the pace of acceleration like you know everything augments everything else and this pace of change is so fast and there's lots of you know i don't know if you read any yuval harari he has a real not a positive view on the world of the the new what will be the useless population and he says that kind of with an asterisk but all of a sudden they're not skilled enough they're not valued enough oh just push you off to the side and if we look back in history, anytime we've taken a group of people or a whole culture and pushed them off to the side, that has not worked out well in our past. So we need to do it better for damn sure. Yeah, no. And even even a skill set like mine has, you know, I'm a computer science graduate. I've been writing code for a long time. And a lot of the work that I've done has been application code, building, building business applications. And there's nothing to say that there's not going to be a piece of technology that will make my work obsolete. Um in, in the near future, right, where you can, someone who's non-technical can provide instruction to a machine in a very simple way through an interface and build a business application. Um, and, and then it makes it makes people like me obsolete. And then where do I go? Where do I head to next, right? So it's a yeah, tough I was question. recently, yeah, no, doing some reading about GTP3 and the natural language process. And they said, well, you know, early stages, but all of a sudden, it could start building websites. It can start building applications with very simple instructions. And like, they're like, this is not the far future. And, you know, again, I think obviously, you know, I talked about earlier, AI gets overstated on, on where it's at and its power very quickly. But you start reading it, like even the glints of like, my brain was like, ooh, I never considered that 12 months from now. <laughs> That's happening more like literally like tw- five times a day. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's it's scary. Um, so, you know. Yeah, the, the fine line between fear and excitement. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So then, and then Adam, you and I are taking an interesting twist on where this podcast is going here. I think you and I need to get a glass of scotch and like, all right, let's really prophesize about the future and kind of all the different things we've been reading and feeling as we've kind of gone through this. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, 
COVID is kind of the backstory here, the backdrop behind all of this, because as we already said a few times, it's been an accelerant. It's changed the way people are looking at the world. It's changed things, but it's forced more automation. It's forced more technology to come to the forefront in the way we work, right? And and yeah, so it, it's it's hard to avoid it. It's hard to avoid it. Let's put it that way. No, and to your point about the accelerant, like it's happened so fast in that cycle. Like you talked about the philosophy of like, well, technology upgrades so that you change your job. There's a point when we just, that starts to outpace itself. And I think the last six months really showed it. Obviously there was a huge variable with with the global pandemic that took a lot of people out of the workforce, but it was that potential work. Like we got a little bit, potentially a window in what's going to happen when technology phases out some of those kind of lower skilled jobs. And I don't want to see this in any kind of a negative way. It's just reality right now. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, oh, you, got my, you got my brain spinning over here, Adam, thinking, but uh, yeah, so many things to think about. Uh, I think it's a good place for us to kind of wrap it and maybe th- we'll, we'll go offline and talk about our next podcast. I feel we got like three or four different directions we can go here. But uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you personally, to get a hold of Aletta Rainforest? You're obviously involved in a lot of things. I'm, I imagine we got a bunch of people listening going, hey, how do I get more of, of, of X here? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you can, you can obviously find me on the Rainforest um, podcast. I think it's, just just go to rainforestab.ca and check out the podcast. I've done a few conversations there with like kind of local tech entrepreneurs and, and VCs, um, which have been really enjoyable conversations. My website's aletta.ca. You can get me Adam at aletta.ca um, or any number of the, as I've already mentioned, uh, any number of the kind of local tech Slack groups. Just uh, just get on there and find me. And, uh, and yeah, I'd love to have a conversation. No, I appreciate you putting yourself out there and just how much you're involved with the community. And like, that's one thing that we do, I believe, have going for us in Calgary. Not that other places don't, but that sense of community and how easy it is to connect with people. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you've got an idea or a harebrained scream, like reach out. It's amazing the amount of people that will come out of the woodwork to help you have a conversation, have a coffee. Calgary, we've got that in spades. And I think we should, we need to capitalize it every chance we get. Yeah, no. And I'm big on that. Uh, I'm big on that execution piece as well. You know, I want to, these conversations are really great and they're valuable, but I, I'd love to see action happen here i want to see execution i want to see more entrepreneurs more founders more work being done and and as i mentioned earlier this this workforce that's transitioning let's get let's get people going let's uh let's make alberta tech success cheers to that adam thanks so much for your time today it was an absolute pleasure thanks thanks a lot